The Map Room, a business owner's guide to the art of harnessing choice. The podcast that explores the world of business through the decisions owners face and the choices they create. Join the conversation with Paul Barnes and Stuart Brown as they walk through some of the toughest decisions you have to make while leading a business and how understanding the choices can be used to guide strategy and optimize outcomes. Brought to you by Map and a host of special guests. Well, hello, and thank you once more for taking the time for joining us in the Map Room. We hope that the episodes we've brought you through last year have been useful in your business, and we've given you some ideas on maybe what you can take away and how you can change maybe the way you think and the way you put yourself into your business. And what we wanted to do now, looking forward into 2023, was have two episodes specifically aimed at you, the business owner. So... This is normally where I would say welcome to my guests, but I'm actually going to be a little bit different today, and I'm going to say shut up and move on. Now, to many people, that might be some kind of insult, but to our guest today, it's been very much his calling card, it's been his business, it's very much a persona and a passion he's held for the last 20 years. So I am delighted to say hello and welcome to the uh, international speaker and the best-selling author, the original sumo guy, Mr. Paul McGee. Paul, good morning. How are you? I am great, Stuart, and it's really good to uh, to see you as well, sir. Yes, excellent. So sometimes, well, I won't say sometimes, all the time in the map room, we like to get people who we know have got a story to tell. And I know some of your story. Your story will have moved on as all as ours had recently, and I'd love to know more about that. But what I wanted to start with is... The map room analogy is all about, we talk about the battlefield, and the battlefield of business, and I'm really keen to understand maybe some of the battles you've gone through, Paul, and obviously I know you from what I um, may, may have been your first book, may not have been your first book, which is obviously Sumo, which is now close to sort of 20 years ago, if I'm not wrong. Um, I'm really interested in your, in your journey to that. How, what was Paul's journey to Sumo? What obstacles and maybe battles did you face in that journey? Okay, well, I mean, if we um, will we'll fast forward through my childhood, which was an incredibly challenging experience, probably my first big battle. But um, at university, I did a degree which incorporated behavioural and social psychology. So people fascinate me. Machines, technology do not do it for me. People do. Graduated, got a, a role with Unilever, big multinational, worked with bird's eye walls in HR, all going well. I become ill. With, a, with an illness that eight out of 10 doctors didn't even believe was a genuine illness. And that is the illness that we kind of know as ME or myalgic ah, yes. myelitis, yuppie flu, as the Daily Mail likes to call it, or chronic fatigue syndrome. Big, big battle. And I was ill probably for around three years. What age would you have been, Paul, then? What age were you? Twenties. Okay. In my mid-twenties. Right, okay. Recently married. Unilever took on four graduates that year to specialise in HR, yeah. four in the whole of the UK. I was one of the four. Within 12 months, I'm on invalidity benefit. Um, it, it was kind of very much a curveball. And, and the nature of the illness is that improve, relapse, improve, relapse. So what we all have to deal with now in life is uncertainty. And I had to deal with a lot of uncertainty because I kept on wondering, even when I started to improve, Will I have a complete relapse again? Mm. And ultimately, uh, Stuart, the only reason I started my own business is because when I felt I could maybe work a little bit, probably only part time, um, I couldn't get a job because no one had hired me because I couldn't pass a medical. So many years before most of your listeners were born, I hired myself and was amazing at the interview. Standout candidate. 
Passed my own medical. I was amazed. You didn't argue with yourself in the interview then? No, I, I didn't. I went, you'll do. You'll do. I'll send you a letter of appointment. Negotiated my terms. And Stuart, my first year of business, my turnover. If someone says, how can you avoid paying tax? Is a great <laughs> way to avoid paying tax. Don't earn a lot of money. I turned over in 1991, £2,300. Wow. I paid no tax, no national insurance, and my accountant sacked me. So an interesting start to my business life. Yeah. But things evolved over time, and I started to um, run training courses, speak at events, and I got into the world of writing. And I wrote a few books um, that were kind of like went under the radar. But in 2005... Sumo, Shut Up, Move On came out. W.H. Smith's made it business book of the month. It's not even a business book. And um, it kind of, things really did change from there on in. You say, and I've heard you say that before, and you say it's not a business book. And and as we started with today's episode, it's really more about, I would say, aimed at the business owner and the person rather than the business and the business entity. Yes. I would have to ask the question that I would imagine having that, WH Smith Business Book of the Month would have would, would have opened you up to an audience that maybe you didn't anticipate or you weren't expecting to reach out to. Sure, it gave me a profile because the thing, you know, WH Smiths have a lot of, you know, the airports and railway stations mm. and you think about I was getting emails from people from Chile and I'm like, hang on a minute, the books are out in the UK and they'll go saw your book at Heathrow Airport. Wow. And and you, I started, things opened up. And the big thing that opened up for me was someone um, had, was flying out to Australia where they lived, but picked up my book in the airport, read it, loved it, and basically invited me uh, to speak at a conference in Australia a couple of years later. And and I, the headline act was Dr. Stephen Covey, wow. who'd written the book yep. Seven Habits of Highly Effective yep. People. So... That one book, you are right, it opened a lot of doors. In fact, one of the other biggest doors, and probably the biggest door, was I worked with Cheshire Police. One of their uh, one of their staff, their brother, worked for Manchester City, head of player care and support at Man City. She gives him the book. He loves it. And I was involved in working with Manchester City from 2010 uh, right up until still having meetings at the club just before the pandemic. So, so their their global success is down to sumo. Oh, there is. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, Guardiola, multi-million it, never heard footballers. Of him. It's all about this short guy based in Warrington with a little catchphrase. It's that's what it's all about. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I reckon. Who knows? I was. It was a, a obviously a privilege. It was very exciting. Yeah. I'm not a blue. Uh, at all but it was a phenomenal experience particularly for the first five years mm. 2010 to 2015 because I was literally on a monthly retainer they then set up a psychology department so I wasn't needed as much yeah. but I'd be in the club you know on a weekly basis players staff I got involved in helping some of the um, some of the family members involved at the club and um, to be there actually in the press box when Aguero got that goal against QPR, as a, as a lad who grew up in South Manchester, despising Manchester City, I have to say, 
I didn't just sit back and gently no. clap. I was ecstatic for the club because there's a lot of good people at the club, lots of money, but also a lot of good people. Yeah, it's fascinating, actually. We're, we're trying to get... Um... The, the likes of either um, Damien McGrath or some other um, people who've worked with sports clubs onto the podcast because obviously I'm biased when it comes to um, rugby league and, 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 and rugby in general. But yeah. that when you have been behind the scenes in a professional sports outfit, I think it gives it opens up your mind to exactly what you said there, the support mechanism and the people that are required and the systems and processes are required to get that team to perform at the weekend are unimaginable to what they would have been 20 years ago and I think that that in itself is probably a lesson for everybody in uh, in business that looks at performance and understands that performance is the output and it's all the work you've got to put into it beforehand to make that performance worthwhile 100% I mean I've written 13 books and people just see the nice shiny cover and oh your book's in WH Smith's but the hundreds of hours of researching uh, writing getting feedback from other people when you send off the drafts, uh, you know, first manuscript to people, the edit, 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 edit. Um, and people sometimes, they see the glory, but they yeah. don't always see the story. Yeah, that- exactly. And, and again, so how many, so that's fascinating because, as I say, I talk about, you know, battle scars and I talk about the ability to, and the analogy we use in the map room is, you know, if you can't find your route to objective A, how do you find a route to objective B? So you're sending off this manuscript and, and they say at the time, you, you obviously thought it was good, but you didn't know it was going to be the international success, maybe it, it, was, it was set to be. But how many times did somebody say no to you? How many times did, how close were you to telling W.H. Smith it wasn't a business book? Well, you see, before W.H. Smith gets on board, I've got to find myself a decent publisher. I'd had a book published a few years earlier called um, 59 Minutes to a Calmer Life. And it was really done not through a proper publisher. They couldn't get it into bookstores. And I was just determined, if I'm going to write another book, it needs to be with a decent publisher. But, you know, publishers like celebrities, particularly, I'm not a celebrity. It was rejected by 13 publishers. And I do a lot of keynote speaking, and I sometimes read out an extract from an email from a top publisher in the UK who basically went, no one is going to buy a book called Sumo. Shut up, move on. Basically, forget it. Um, but I did believe in it. It was my brand. I had 13 publishers say no. And then one of them, an imprint of John Wiley called Capstone, met a guy um, and, and he just he just liked the quirky nature mm. of it. And he just said at the time, well, I found out subsequently when they submitted their books to W.H. Smith's, I don't know, there's just one buyer or one person in the marketing department, as far as I know, who just for some reason also went, I like that. It's got a quirky yeah. cover, like cartoon sumo figure on a unicycle. And, um, but yeah, but rejection. And I think sometimes people say, well, when do you know when to quit? When do you know when to persist? Which is a great question because I think sometimes it takes courage to quit. And sometimes you do need to quit, which is not what you expect to hear from a motivational speaker. But there's a, you know, stubbornness and stupidity can can become stupidity Mm. in certain situations. And I think the reason why people said, well, 13 rejections, didn't you just take, you know, go, well, maybe life's trying to tell me something. But Stuart, I was speaking at a lot of events about these ideas and people were very receptive. And a number of people going, oh, have you thought about writing a book? And I had a mentor who was a mate as well. And he just said to me, 
You just need to push more doors mm. because you only need one to open. And I very much respected not just, you know, his encouragement, but his view of my material. And, and he just said, Sumo could help a lot of people mm. to push more doors. Fa- and that's fa- what I did. Fascinating. And again, I mean, it's also interesting when you said that, the, you know, the, the person who picked it up on a flight to Australia, mine sadly wasn't that glamorous. Mine was France. But I first read your book on a flight because it is, I think it's, as you say, it looks different. And, and I can't remember if that I'd already got it or picked it up in the airport. But, yeah, that was read on a flight because it is, mm. it's also in those books that I think, I'll, obviously, you can talk through principles, but I like the fact that although it has a story, you can pick it up, you can go back to pieces, you can look at the one bit you look at, you know, at any one time. You don't have to turn every page and start and finish it. So, so again, some of the people listening may have may know what some of the sumo principles um, is or are, and obviously I do, but... For our listeners that don't, Paul, then talk through the sumo principles. Okay, there's there's a few ideas. Um, the first idea, and I won't go into a huge amount of detail, is a simple formula: E plus R equals O, and it's the event plus our response or reaction that influences the outcome. And so, business owners right now are facing all kinds of challenging events. But part of my message is, yeah, but you, but it's not E equals O. Yeah. It's not event equals outcome. It's event plus our response or our reaction influences the outcome. And we're in this equation, whether we're a business, um, whether we're, we're whether we're a government, um, whether we're a family or whether we are an individual. And it's just that sense of taking a bit of ownership, which leads on to one of my other main ideas, which is change your T-shirt. And that's all about how, if we're not careful, we can end up wearing what I call this big, I have this, when I'm speaking, this big yellow T-shirt with the word victim on. Now, I know there are genuine victims, but I'm talking about a victim mindset. Yes. I come across them. And to be fair, I think I've been in a victim mindset myself at times over the years. And I suppose those first two are very much about, we do need to look at ourselves in the mirror and take a bit of responsibility and ownership and not say, it's all down to me. And only I can do it. But I need to I need to, you know, maybe I need to take ownership Mm. to seek out support or to seek out advice, to seek out help. Yeah. I need to also look at myself in the mirror and go, okay, well, what can I do to influence or improve this situation and not buy into a a media narrative of there's never been a a worse time to have been alive on this planet, which is completely ridiculous. Yeah. So E plus cycles out, change your T-shirt. I have another idea called develop fruity thinking. And I go for quirky titles. So we're talking about fruit being good for the body. I'm talking about being more fruity or fruitful in our thinking. So I've got a little psychological little model around that, the tier model, thinking, emotion, action, and results, just helping the skeptics to understand the logic of what I'm saying. But rather than say to people, come on, you've just got to be positive. As you will be familiar with, Stuart, I came up with these seven questions Mm. to help you sumo. From, you know, where is this issue on a scale of one to 10, where 10's death or the end of the world? How can I influence, improve the situation? What can I learn, do differently? You know, there's a number of them. And they're almost like a little toolbox for people. They wouldn't use all questions in every situation, Mm. but in certain situations do so. So fruity thinking. I also talk about this concept called hippo time is okay. What are hippos doing mud? They wallow. And, and sometimes in our lives and in our businesses, we get a setback, we lose a contract, we think we've secured a new client that we don't get it. 
And I'm not your motivational speaker dancing around in the background doing a happy clappy song, going, I'm a tiger, I'm a tiger. I need to say, you might need a bit of hippo time here. You know, you might just need a little bit of time to acknowledge your disappointment, process your pain, sit with your sadness, whatever the issue is. However, hippo time is okay, but it's temporary. It's a detour. It's not a destination. And so I unpack that a bit more. And that then, I suppose, is the logic about... So I understand the bit that says it's your response to the um, event, but yeah. to get your response better to that event, you have to recognise that it is your responsibility to, if you like, get yourself out of the mud, to use that phrase. Yes. But what I like is what you're saying there is, look, it's not... I'm not saying or you're not saying don't ever feel the pain in something, you're saying, yeah, take it on board because by wallowing in, in uh, I'm gonna, you wouldn't, haven't used it, I'll just use word the self-pity for a second, so wallowing in that in that mud and, you know, feeling down, that's fine, so long as it's temporary because that is the, would you describe it as a vehicle or a state of mind to help you get back out of the puddle and therefore change your T-shirt? Yeah, I think there are certain people, I mean, I, I work with a lot of business owners and chief execs, and I would say some of them I've come across, they're almost a bit uncomfortable with the hippo time. Um, no, I like, shut up, move on. And I'm, but, but and some people are just naturally bounce back incredibly quickly. The point I try and make is, you. but some people are different to others and having a setback, I'm not trying to say you've got to become a robot. I'm actually saying we're human, and we need to process some of this stuff. However, as you rightly say, then it's not what can happen in some organisations. I think less so in in uh, you know small businesses because you haven't you can't afford it. But if you're part of a large organisation and there's been a major restructure and a few people are unhappy and they get into hippo time, the problem is they can get joined by their hippo buddies. Yes, yeah. And we're all also wearing giant yellow t-shirts, <laughs> and you can get stuck in the yes. mud and get further taken down. Now, if you're running your own small business, you just can't afford that time anyway, and you don't. But there are people in life who I think miss out on life because they do literally almost like, and metaphorically, get stuck in the mud. Funny enough, though, Paul, and I think, I mean, whether now or maybe we'll talk about it later, I think this is really important because the concept, obviously, of mental health and well-being is a massive thing now. And, sure. you know, and, and it's right it's being discussed. And I think, you know, I've made the mistake in my career and a big part of this podcast is being open and honest and telling people in the same way I've loved your, you know, the fact you put so much personal stuff in your in your books when, you know, I know, you know, I was fortunate enough to write a little testimony for the for the 10th mm. edition. Um, and I remember at the time the publisher was quite keen to say, but you've made it now, Paul, we can get rid of all that. Um, because it's, as you say, it's easy to say, look where we are and once it's a success success but I think it's understanding that journey and the battles you've been through that that get, gives it so much credit to you used the word skeptic before I would have been that skeptic reading that mm. kind of book I would have been the the skeptic but I do think now in terms of the ability to discuss um you know well-being and I think if we are the small business owner is out there who thinks you know I can't show any vulnerability I can't accept it I've got to be strong for my staff you know, resilience is an amazing quality, but it's not that sustainable. And so that concept of hippo time to me is, you know, I, I'll say to people, go and go and sit in a dark room for a few hours and think about it. It's a similar thing that, and, and I, the phrase that was in my mind, and you used the word as process. If you can't process it, you can't move on. And if you can't move on, you're likely to get stuck in that mud, whether you recognise you are, 
But sure. I would suggest your staff can see you with one foot in the mud and one foot not in the mud. Sure. I mean, I think there's a point about hippo time. I mean, it's interesting we are focusing on this, is that, and, and it, you know, I mean, the Samaritans now use this phrase, it's okay to not always feel okay. Now, yeah. I didn't come up with the original title, but I've been using that phrase yeah. myself for 20 years. And to feel mad, bad or sad is okay. I think the thing, though, is sometimes also as a business owner, you can have hippo time on your own. So I'm pretty good at going for long walks yeah. and processing it. I might vent a bit to my wife and then I need my space. But I think what's important is if you're a business owner with your staff, you maybe don't have your hippo time with them. Yes. You might have to put a bit of a game face on at work but you because you don't want to drag them into the mud as well. But but you do need to find some people in your life, whether that's some kind of mentor or mate or family member yeah. who you can you can do your hippo mm. time with. But again, I talk about one of my other books. You get some people who are immediately they're, 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 they're the hijacker. So you're having a bit of a wallow and I'm saying, Stuart, you'll never believe what happened to me. And you'll go, oh, do you know what? The same thing happened to me two years ago. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly the hippo time's like, you not me so there's there's an art to this yeah. but it's um you know you do need to find people you can offload to yeah. but i think it's an important one to do so and i know there are like chief exec groups with meet monthly and and part of what they sometimes doing is offloading some of their yeah. frustrations there's another angle though for the for thinking about hippo time that i don't always talk about is that hippos don't just go into the mud to wallow in a sense but they go there to get out of the heat mm. to cool down and to play. And I wonder whether for our own well-being, sometimes business owners, especially when there's a lot of pressure, and I know because I'm a small business owner myself, is yeah, but don't always take yourself too seriously. And, and what are you doing? What are you planning in terms of you getting out the heat, cooling mm. down and playing a little bit as well? That is also an, an aspect of hippo time. Interesting. So go on then. So after hippo time, Okay, well, I talk about some other things to talk about is remember the beach ball. So if you can, listeners can imagine that there's this six coloured beach ball, but I'm holding it in front of you. Then from your perspective, you just see three of the colours. You're unaware that I'm looking at the same beach ball, but from the other side, I'm looking at a beach ball. It's the same beach ball, yeah. but I'm not seeing the same colours as you. So you're seeing red, yellow and orange, but I'm seeing blue, white and green. And sometimes we can get very fixed in our mindset and the way we look at life, the way we look at business. And we don't always take time out to stop and understand, well, how do other people mm. see this? Because it's obvious to me it's blue, white and green. I shouldn't have to tell you. It's obvious. Yeah, but to you, Stuart, it's not obvious, is it? And also... I'm also colourblind, Paul, so... Yeah, also, <laughs> so is my son. But it's, so you've got this situation... But there's also some people are willfully colorblind, yes. i.e., they only yes. want to see their perspective and they're not interested in yours. And I think we need to take people on the journey and, and realize they see the world, they see our business maybe different to us based on all kinds of factors age, background, mm -hmm. experience, personal priorities, and goals. But take a bit of time out to understand other people's mm -hmm. side of the beach ball and recognize when we talk about diversity and people immediately go oh yeah diversity ethnicity gender well it is that but it's more than that it's good to have people in your team who actually sometimes see the world a bit differently to you absolutely because if everyone's seeing blue white and green 
then we're missing out on stuff. So sometimes even that person in your team is a bit of a challenger, maybe a bit of a maverick, maybe they always think a bit differently to everyone mm. else. But rather than see them as a threat, see them as an opportunity to maybe challenge your own, maybe sometimes confirmation bias and be prepared to be humble enough and curious enough and open enough mm. to go, well, tell me, how do you see this, Stuart? Help me understand your perspective on this and be prepared to listen to what they've got to say. So that's beach ball. The final two, one is called learn Latin. And it's all about this, this Latin phrase, carpe diem, seize the day. Life rewards, action, not intention. And in that chapter, and then when I'm talking about, I talk about why we procrastinate. And then the final one, because we do it in schools now as well, Sumo, although in schools it stands for stop, understand, move on. And some businesses prefer that. Back to Stephen Covey, seek first to understand and then be understood. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He got all his best ideas from me before he passed <laughs> away, bless him. Uh, he's also got nine children and 52 grandchildren, but I don't think right. I'll replicate that, Stephen. No. I've got a little bit of way to go. But the last one is called Ditch Doris Day. So she sang a song in the 50s, We're giving our age away now with that one, Paul. Oh, yeah, well, I say she sang it in the 50s. I was flipping alive in the 50s. (laughs) I'm alive. I need to flipping up my Botox routine (laughs) here, clearly. Um, But Kesara, Sarah, whatever will be, be the future's not ours to see. Now, yeah, there are things that we we don't see, but can you imagine you going on a plane and and some of the captains, like, will be flying at a height of 36,000 feet and... I'm not exactly sure where we're going, yeah. but I'm sure we'll get somewhere nice. Yeah. Um, it is good to have, it's not just goals, but for me, it's a compass. Yes. It's, what's the direction? What's the purpose? Yep. How can I create, you know, the future isn't a place you get to, you just arrive at. In yep. a sense, it's a place you get to create. And, and so ditch the Doris Day, fatalistic, whatever will be, will be. And I know sometimes it just is mm. that. But a lot of the time, it isn't. So that's sumo in a nutshell. They've probably forgotten all of what I said previously, so you'll have to rewind and listen. But in all humility, it's a good book. It's easy to read. It's short and simple, which people say describes me perfectly well. It's well, I thought sumo described me. As I say, I'm not. I'm usually not. The, I'm usually the one in the room who's being called the sumo Paul, not the other person. Um, it's fascinating. You've said a few things there that I don't think potentially before today are taking the time to reflect on, which, you know, I, I always say that one of the things that I found unique about your book is I genuinely believe it's timeless. And we'll talk about that again in a minute. But you said two things there that, that have had a big impact on me. One is the issue of diversity. And I've said in previous episodes of this uh, podcast that I spent too long working with the same kind of people. And it is that whilst you don't appreciate it, or I didn't appreciate it at the time, that confirmation bias was my safety blanket, my comfort blanket. And whilst I've got older and realised that not everybody sees the world the same as I do, hence the beach ball, um, I, I know now that I get better results when actually I'm with different people. And, yeah. you know, we've, we've spoke on a previous uh, podcast um, with Hannah about, you know, the psychology and, you know, you started your career in HR. And I've always said that some of the best HR directors I've worked with happen to be female because their mm. empathy is different. 
But I've also sat, you know, uh, MAP, MAP um, has um, Amanda on our board and um, uh, people who will know me from one of my other businesses, Magnetic North with Lou. You know, I felt that where the business had, you know, genuinely um, replicated society without wishing to be too arty about it, where there was that great diversity, the decision making mm. was so much better. And go back to where you started, you know, your reaction to that event could be different because you listen to other mindsets and so the output for me was better so I, I find that i find that incredible um and i will tell you this because this will put a smile on your face so the beach ball is always so visual and, and that's why i've always liked it so we had an exercise uh, a few months ago in map where we were talking about how our staff can see the world through the lens of the client because many of our finance partners may be managing 20 to 30 different businesses but if that business owner the most important thing in their life is their business and we were asking them to say are you truly looking through the lens of the client when you're presenting numbers etc because with respect to the accountants the numbers you know two plus two must equal four and so we did the beach ball exercise and i did the beach ball exercise to get that point across which is great um but also the point that it was fascinating for me that so uh, some of the younger members of staff, it was even getting to even understand what the beach ball was. So, but it was, but it was really interesting because again, it's that visual thing that, as I say, put my colour blindness aside. That ability to ask somebody to, you know, without describing the, you know, you can describe the sphere, the shape of the object, what you're seeing, just makes people think. And there's another, I mean, then less than interrupting with that is I worked with a group of psychiatrists recently. And, and you know, I'm I'm the guy that writes the accessible self-help personal development books. And suddenly I'm with a group of flipping psychiatrists. One, I was amazed in a sense, well, what can I offer you? But what I think they found really interesting is how I can make the academic accessible. Yes. And and you know, I am a visual person, but most people are. And I know, I'm not just trying to communicate information. I'm trying to make it sticky and memorable. Mm. And I mean, Elon Musk, whatever you think of him, said when you're communicating, your aim is not to be clever, it's to be clear. Yes. And um, I'm not trying to be clever. You know, if you read any of my books, I challenge anyone to actually come across a sentence where they go, well, I don't understand that yep. word. I'm not into saying you're going to have to keep stopping every sort of two or three pages to go to your dictionary. Um, I, I'm, I'm here to be clear, not to be clever. Mm. And it's just a simple set of tools. And I think they are timeless, a bit like Stephen Covey. Um, he wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People in 1989. Wow. Sold 40 million copies worldwide. Do you know what? If you buy that book now, their habits haven't changed. No. They're not, well, actually, that yeah. was in the late 80s. Yeah. That was yeah. the last century. They're very different. He's added to them. There's like the eighth habit, which is about trust. But the seven habits are timeless. And I would say... In 50 years' time, when I'm not on this planet, if you were to someone's picking up the book, they won't go, well, that's not relevant to today. It's still relevant and always will be. But funny you say that, because so um, I can see behind you on the wall, you've got your postcard. Um, talk through those seven questions. So, again, so I first would have seen that. So I don't know if you still do, but there used to usually be a copy of the postcard inside the book, and that's how I sort of first saw it. Yeah. And used it as a bookmark, then looked at it. So more than close to 20 years ago so you know as you say for memory the first one is okay where's this on a scale of one to ten where one's death etc and and if you and how important will something be in where 10's death where 10's death did i, did I say one then 
Yeah, that's that's me being yeah. negative. Sorry, where Tanner's <laughs> death, uh, and the, and you know the second one I think was you know how important this being six months. But you go into it. But I, it was interesting when I was when I was um, sort of you know planning for this um, episode today. I looked at those again, um, and it made me think. I've got to be honest. I think given what we've gone through over the last few years, so given gone through a pandemic, gone through you know, um, even, as you say, you know, a war in Europe, cost of living crisis, everything else, there's been more pressure on small business owners than there has been. You know, I always say I've been fortunate to go through two recessions and, you know, we're, we're in a third one as, as we speak. But I do think that those, um, I, I, I don't know how to describe them other than moments of reflection, moments of just thought provokers are probably more relevant than ever. So, I know, you know, you might say it's 20 years ago since this, but I'd really appreciate it if you could quickly run through those for our listeners because I think they're, we always, with this podcast, Paul, we always like to give someone a key takeaway that they can actually think it through and actually act in their business. And, and whilst I would suggest to everyone go and buy the book, but I also think the, the seven questions really just make people stop and think. Sure. And I think the key thing, before we just get into the questions, Will, in a moment, is I talk about in the pace of work and the pressure of work, you need to take time to pause and have a tool to do that. So it might actually, as, as people are listening, even actually just have an issue at the back of your mind. Maybe it's to do with work. Maybe it's in your personal life. Um, I said an issue or a challenge, not a personal tragedy. And I know you've heard some of these questions before. I'll just go through them again a bit more intentionally. I'll go through them in the order which they are on the, on the card um, and some of these questions will be more relevant to you than others. So the first one, as you've mentioned, and I've mentioned as well. So actually, where is your issue on a scale of one to 10, where 10 equals death or the end of the world? Because very often we we get caught up in the minutia and we completely lose perspective. Yep. Second question, how important will this be in six months time? Um. Sometimes when you're going through change, new project, new starters, you can have your frustrations. They talk about this concept called the messy middle. Um, and you can sort of get so caught up in that. And it's like helping yourself and others to kind of keep you, in a sense, be on the balcony to be able to see forward and go, OK, this is where we're at now. But how important will this be in six months time? Good to think about that and stuff that maybe feels uncomfortable today because mm. it's out of your comfort zone. But yeah. in six months, it'll be part of your comfort zone. Number three. Always a good one to reflect on before you send an email or reply to anybody. You know, is my response appropriate and effective? You know, how are you dealing with this situation at the moment? Would you say it is appropriate, but is it effective? Mm. Is it giving you the outcome you want? Yeah. Because if it's not, you might need to change your approach. Yeah, just sticking two fingers up to someone doesn't might be might be appropriate, but it's not going to be effective. Yeah, to you, because you're just thinking short yeah. term, aren't yeah. you? And yeah. you're trying to Emotion. engage your more rational, logical part of your brain here when you do these questions. Question four, which we've mentioned a couple of times, but how can I or how can we influence or improve the situation? And what I find, Stuart, is that some people get so stuck on the problem mm. and the cause of the problem and who's to blame for the problem yeah. and the impact of the problem. They're spending a lot of their time and energy talking about the problem. And I'm going, OK, fine. We need to acknowledge that. But can we spend some channel our energy now into how do we influence or improve the situation? And question four is a great question to help you make sure you get your T-shirt off, your victim T-shirt. You're taking a bit of ownership. So how can I influence or improve the situation? Question five, what can I learn from this? 
you know, there's that phrase, isn't there? Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Um, and sometimes stuff happens we don't like, we, we should wish it hadn't, fine. But what's the learning? What's the learning in your situation right now with this issue? Question six, what would you do differently next time? You know, because maybe there will be a next time. Sometimes you don't hope you hope that it never happens again, but sometimes there is an issue or challenge and it does reoccur. So think ahead. What will you do differently next time? And, and question seven is, and what can you find that's positive in this situation? You know, we have an inbuilt negativity bias, um, but it can help us. I'm not saying you'll ask that question straight away, but sometimes it is good to step back. I remember being on the M25 uh, at a Easter holiday, Easter weekend, back holiday on the Thursday evening before everyone was having Friday off and the rest of the weekend off. And I'm, I've done 30 miles in three hours yeah. and I'm on the M25 and I'm having a bit of a pity party. And then I asked, I actually reflected, I thought to myself, I'm sat there going, what can I find this positive in this situation? And and it's interesting because I suddenly thought, do you know what, Paul, when you were ill with ME, you, you were too ill to drive. You didn't know whether you ever would work again or whether you'd even be well enough to try and start a family. Yeah. So the only reason you're on the M25 on a Thursday evening is because, number one, you're well enough to be mm. here. Secondly, the only reason you're here is because you've been working today. And thirdly, when you do get home, you will get home to your wife and two kids. Now, interestingly enough, the traffic didn't magically yeah. disappear. It was still horrendous gridlock. But I can't always change what's happening externally, but I can focus mm. and change what's happening internally. And those questions can help you do it. So I'll go through them very quickly again. Yeah. Scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is death, where is it? How important will it be in six months' time? Is my response appropriate and effective? How can I influence and improve the situation? What can I learn from this? What would I do differently next time? What can I find that's positive in this situation? Interesting. Well, fascinating, more than interesting. Phrased differently very often when we've had previous guests on, on the map room, we've been talking about a specific issue in their journey. And episode one was about um, a guy, you know, after 20 years running a business, becoming an employee again and how that worked. And one of the questions I ask everybody is whether they've sold their business or um, the concept of due, due diligence was a recent episode. I ask that same question. What have you What would you do differently? And what have you learned? So, again, it's, it, it's important to do that. I'd also say, um, again, reflecting while we're speaking, Paul, if we go back only where are we now, six, seven years, you know, we, we have become... And we always say there's no place for politics in the map room, but as a as a nation and potentially as a as a you know as a wider globe, we've become probably more um, uh, binary than ever, uh, you know, whichever whichever way we look at it. Um, and I do think sometimes those questions comes back to that thing that says, okay, before I you use the phrase blame, which I think is a fascinating one, and I think you know there's lots of instances now I see uh, where people are quick to seek to blame because that's how they, if you like take their victim t-shirt off because it's just blaming somebody else um but I, I find i find as i say you know i think those questions now in my mind are probably more relevant now with the changing world we've been in than, than maybe when you first put them together so that's that's sure. fa that's fascinating um 
One thing I did want to ask you, and we've probably skipped past it, but I'd like to come back to it, is obviously, you know, I've known you, and you mentioned there about, um, you know, your first opportunity to Australia, and and I've known you, um, you know, going to Australia on a regular basis as well as other places, Mm. but Australia was someone you went to for, you know, three to four weeks sort of um, uh, a working trip every year. Suddenly lockdowns come in and a lot of that's changed. So two things really. Um, How has... How have you changed with that? But also, mm. in terms of your these principles, um, you know, I, I always say my weaknesses. I look to the world through my eyes. Um, you know, as you know, and, I'm gonna. I keep saying middle aged, but that was that was 15 years ago. So, so you know, white middle aged Englishman will see something very differently. How do you? How have you found your principles? Um, are they translatable internationally, or do different cultures see them differently? I would imagine, first of all, shut up and move on is much easier and more accepted, probably in other in other territories. But talk to me about your experiences with that. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, I've done stuff in in Asia, in Africa, Australia, America, and probably anywhere else that begins with A. Um, in America, particularly, they like shut up, move on. Yeah. Sometimes it's not just the the culture; it's the organisation. Some more government organisations might be oh no, be like stop, understand, yeah. move on. Yeah. When I worked in New York, they loved shut up, move on. Australia also I find generally is a culture, not so pretentious, yeah. not, you know, it's kind of like very much, they're like the kind of down to earth practical. I find in Asia, although they still quite, again, humour is different, but, they, they, but again, I cover both bases, shut up, move on, or stop, understand, move on. And you sometimes find some more respectable cultures, mm. more respectful prefer the stop yeah. understand yeah. move on the principles actually don't change e plus r equals o change your t-shirt it, it's the same yeah. and they get it and i and i, I i'm supposed to use personal stories but you know whatever part of the world you're in if you've got kids so you're in a relationship yeah. bizarrely you have similar challenges yeah i think the one that i sometimes have most difficulty explaining is actually hippo time because a lot of people when you say in the uk what are hippos doing mud? Yeah. Most people go, they wallow. Yeah. When I'm in Singapore, uh, and I'm going to be there again shortly, they they're not so familiar with that mm. concept, wallow. Yeah. And 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 that's what I've spoken in Sweden and Belgium and Germany and France. And you sometimes have to just unpick what I mean by wallow. Once they kind of get, yes. oh, that's why you call it a hippo. They, they understand the, the idea behind the title, but they're not always familiar with Wallow. I think um, what shocked me when I was working in Africa, when I when I go to the seven questions, I'll often say to people, which two out of the seven really resonated with you? And then I ask the group and they put their hands up when I go through the seven questions. And often you'll find question number one is a very popular one. Where's this issue on a yeah. scale of one to 10 where 10 equals death or the end of the world? I asked that in Africa and it wasn't a, like a really important question for a lot of people. And I wondered whether it was maybe because they're so used to death yeah. that it's just not quite has yes. the same yes. impact as when you ask it in the West. Yes, it's more every day, it's more, it's more a daily you know, yeah. check. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of um, sense. So that was so that was interesting. But apart from sometimes having to adjust my humor. Um, I, it's amazing. I'm not really adjusting the principles. Yes. You know, and I don't go through all of them. I'm trying to, yeah. they're a vehicle to help you achieve stuff. So I actually don't say I talk about sumo. I talk about change, resilience, well-being, self-leadership, communication. 
And it just so happens that I'll often draw on some of those tools to talk about those areas. But I have a lot of material I've continued to develop. Yeah. And in lockdown, I, I, I turned out to do virtual. I mean, I had one day where I started the day speaking um, in Australia and I ended it working in the US. I actually have spoken previously in Iran, in Tehran, uh, on, you know, in person on a couple of occasions. Yeah. But I also did um, an event in, in, in Iran whilst I was, um, you know, whilst we're in lockdown. So it gave me actually more opportunity. And, and there were some conferences where they said, normally, if it's in person, we get about 100 people. Yeah. But yeah. at the moment, we've had over 400 yeah. people sign up. Um, now, I still would say the in-person is a better experience. But what has pleasantly surprised me, because I still occasionally do the odd virtual now, is people have got used to it. And because yes. of my style and I don't show slides, I, I, I still get really, I'm really encouraged with the feedback I get. Yeah, interesting. As I say, that that world of um, work has changed with that, and people are for are far more um, accepting of remote working, etc. Um, I noticed one thing that um, uh, I saw that was different, maybe with yourself. I'm conscious of time; we're getting up to about forty five mm. minutes, so there's a few things I'd like to cover. Was I saw that you'd done um, another book called The Happiness Revolution, and it it, it looked to me like that was a collaborative piece of work yeah, with a guy called Doctor Andy Cope. Yeah. How do you find that? Because, as you say, as as an author and a speaker, it is very much it's very much you. You you are you are the show with that. You know, you are the business with that. So, how yeah. did that work? Because again, this comes back to one of our things. We represent agencies, and very often the building we're in today, they it's a very collaborative environment. So, one agency on one floor will help another do something. How did you find that sort of process, and how did you find the outcome for, of collaborating with somebody else for the first time? No, I mean, it was an idea the publisher put our way um, because they said, well, you know, you're two of our most successful authors. How about you collaborate? And Andy Cope had, um, you know, been a big fan of Sumo, had quite a profound impact on him because he was a university lecturer at the time and he loved the kind of simplicity of it. And he's developed his own very successful business. I think collaboration the who is very, very important. So I like the guy. I respected the guy. We had similar values. It, for me, it wasn't, and it's been successful, yeah. therefore I must collaborate. It was, you know, I'm a football fan, so is he. We're down to earth. Um, I can hang out and have a beer with him. And I respected his work and him as a person. Mm. So for me, that's the starting point with collaboration. It's not just what the person's achieved, but who they are. Yeah. Um, I'm still, if you were to say to me, what's easiest to do, write your own book or collaborate with someone else, I'd still say write your own book. Mm. But um, I was proud of what we managed to achieve between us. Um, we were on a fairly tight deadline. Um, and what was also good is that there was no slacking at all from, from Andy or myself. We both threw ourselves into the project. And I was pleased with the, with the outcome. If you said to me, are you, you know, chomping at the bit, yeah. wanting to collaborate again? I'm collaborating in different ways. So I do a lot on social media now, on TikTok and on Instagram. I produce loads of videos. Um, you know, my TikTok videos have been viewed over a million times. Now, that has been a collaboration not to do with a book, yeah. but with, with a digital marketing agency. So I do feel for me to get my message out and to reach more people, collaboration is key. 
but it's collaborating in different areas, not just one single area. Excellent. Valuable feedback. Um, One thing I did see on that book that fascinated me was, I think I saw the strap line that said, how to be your best in a world that is doing its worst. Now, you tell me when that book was written, but in terms of a strap line for now, I yeah. think that's that's really um, significant. Now, you know, this is this is probably the sixty-four million dollar question. It's probably unfair, but as I am unfair asking questions, how do you be at your best in a world that's doing its worst? I think first of all, and it goes back to one of Covey's principles, which is called be proactive, and he has these two circles. It's almost like seeing this um, large polo mint, but the middle actually is has something in it, and the outer circle is your circle of concern, but you've got no control over. And there's a lot of things in life that can concern us, but we've got no control over. And Covey's point, and he and I actually talked about this when I met him in in Australia, is to focus on that centre circle that, you know, now I actually, when I share that, I colour that bit in green. So I say, what's in your green zone? What you can, that what Covey called it, your 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 circle, your circle or your sphere, or maybe I'll create a new word, new word. Start, right? New word, right? Patent it. Um, but focus on your circle of influence, what you can control. Mm. And what I find is how can you be at your best when life's doing its worst is we've got to be careful of spending time and energy focusing on thinking about, talking about, worrying about, and sometimes moaning about stuff you can't do anything yeah. about. And actually go, I have to accept that there are things out of my control. But every day, you know, what is in my green zone? What can I influence? So this morning, you know, I've I've been out for my walk still. I've listened to a podcast feeding my mind, not with negative news, but with some stimulating conversation. Um, I'll think about what I'm going to be eating and, and, and prioritizing my sleep. And every single day I will, the last thing I think about as I drift off to sleep and and we're not going dodgy, I promise. But I ask myself, what am I thankful for? Mm. Four things that have happened that day that I'm actually thankful for. And all the research, all the science shows how this appreciating what you have got, being grateful, doesn't mean to just shut up, go and be grateful for what you've got. But actually reminding yourself of what's going well and every, every day there is something to be thankful for mm. is hugely helpful. Well, guess what? No matter what's going on in the world, I can make the choice and the decision to think of my thankful for. Yeah. And, and they're all little things. I think we ignore the impact of those daily consistent mm. things that we do that seem quite small and insignificant. But you know what? Consistency compounds. Yeah. And so it's those kind of things that that's really important. And that's what you can I think that's the only thing you can do is to focus on what you can do and what you've got some control over. Brilliant. Brilliant. That um, one of the things. So, um, you know, I work with uh, some of the existing map clients and some others I work as a non-exec. And that's one of the things I often say to them, because, you know, we'll have an agenda and that agenda comes back to the strategic ambition of that business. But nine times out of 10, Paul, you start that agenda and the client said, oh, but hang on, but before I start, I need to tell you about this. And I need, and and the times when you've, you know, it helps to say, right, well, we're going to stop. You know, I wouldn't say we're going to shut up to them, but I should do. We're going to stop. Ironically, let's understand it, but then let's move on because I'll say, 
that's not really best for me. You know, you're wasting my time discussing that today because we can't control it. I, I, you know, if it's affecting you, I'm happy to understand it, but we do have to get onto this. And those uh, business owners that have realised that, as you say, there's a time and a place for the reflection. There's a time and a place to understand it. There's a time and a place to move on. We have the evidence, being their accountants, that those are the are the fastest growing businesses. I'm not suggesting they're better than the others, but they're better at accepting opportunities and, to use your phrase, moving on. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember someone saying to me, they worked in the public sector and they went, you know, but trying to do customer service in the public sector, you've always got one arm tied behind your back. And I went, you have. I'm not saying you haven't, but you've got a choice. Do you want to keep on focusing on what you can't do? Yeah. Or what you can do. It's yeah. a bit like going into McDonald's and going, I'll have the lobster thaw, I love lobster thermidor. Nice to have, but it ain't on the menu. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of other stuff on the menu. Yeah. And I think some people spend a lot of their time talking about what's not on the menu, or I've got one arm tied behind my back. You still got another arm. Up and use it. Yeah, yeah. My 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 nan, God bless her, uh, used to have a, a a plate on a wall. And it used to say the same thing, you know. I used to think, yeah, I used to complain I had no shoes, then I met a man who had no feet. You know, it's yes. some of those things. Paul, listen, I've got to say thank you. I think it's, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the output, you know that. And, and I think, you know, it's helped me personally. It's helped me in business and I hope it helps others. But go back to something like your postcard. How can people find this? So how can they find you? What's the website they can go to? How do they sure. get... How do they download a copy of your postcard or whatever else? Yeah, sure. Uh, the key thing to remember is that is the sumo guy. Because if you put in the sumo guy and then add .com, you're on my website. Yeah. If you go onto Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and put at the sumo guy, you'll find me. And you can always, you can download it from the website or you just contact us and say, can you send, you know, can you help me with the PDF so I can download yeah. it? We'll do it. But if you remember the sumo guy, you will find me. Fine. Well, what we'll do, Paul, is um, we'll stick, uh, I'll stick some out on the map, map social as well because that goes out to our our clients. So uh, I'm sure it's been useful. So, again, um, I really like the fact that today and another upcoming episode, we're focusing on the business owner rather than just the journey. But I do appreciate every business owner has their own journey. And, again, uh, you've been uh, brilliant today, Paul, with uh, explaining your journey and explaining maybe how um, Sumo can help others. So, all that remains for me to say is thank you again so much for your time and uh, see you again soon. Thanks, Stuart. Much appreciated. I'm having a pleasure talking to you. The Map Room has been brought to you by Map, the outsourced finance function for digital agencies. Subscribe via your usual podcast app to never miss an episode.